Praise the Lord. How's everybody doing this morning? Amen. Amen. We want to welcome you to Drive-In Church at Gospel Lighthouse. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's great to see everybody this morning. Amen. This is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And you know what? For 2,000 years, people like you and I have met together on this morning. And this pestilence is not going to stop the church. Amen. We gather in homes, prisons, fields, church buildings, houses, wherever wherever we have to meet, we're going to meet. Amen. Some of us might be meeting in hospital rooms. Some of us might be meeting in little prairie buildings. But praise God, we're together. Amen. Amen. Well, um, we are going to begin with the word of prayer, and then we're going to have a song of worship. I want to invite you to just worship with us in one song. We'll play through the radio. If you don't see, uh, the station is 93.9. My daughter said I need to work on my bubble letters, numbers. So That's right. Put her to work, right? But it's 93.9 FM. You should be able to tune in. And praise God, we're going to worship. Let's go ahead and gather with a word of prayer, and then we're going to begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to meet together on this Lord's Day. Father, we thank you that you've given us the ability to meet together, that we can assemble freely in this nation. Father, we take it not for granted, but God, we thank you for this opportunity. Lord, we meet here to meet with you. Father, we thank you for your presence that where the church gathers, Lord, you're with us. Father, we pray for your presence here today. Lord, that every heavy, weighty burden would be broken in Jesus' name. Father, we pray that the cares of the world would be washed away as the Holy Spirit begins to renew us. Lord, we thank you for the refreshing that the Holy Spirit brings. Father, we pray in this special day, God, that you would stir our hearts in a special way. Lord, we bless you. We call upon you, Lord, to, to touch our hearts today. Father, we pray for that stirring in our souls. In Jesus' name, and everybody says... Amen, amen. Well, I was praying about the worship, and we usually just been doing one. Well, usually, it's the second week we've done it. So we usually just been doing one song. But, you know, the, the song that came to my heart was the heart of worship. And, you know, on a morning like this, sometimes we, we look at it and we see how the situation and circumstances of life have changed things. And, and the most important thing that we can do is to allow that to drive us to God. It's the most important thing we can do. It's going to tie into our message today, but I just want to uh, just worship the Lord. It's uh, the heart of worship. It's an older song, but, man, it is so powerful. There's times in my life when, you know, things get too busy or things wreck. How many of you know what it's like when the wheels fall off? I think the economy knows that right now. And it's in those times that you just draw near and you remember what the purpose of your worship is. Amen. I love it. Let's worship the Lord and then we'll move into the message. Amen. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply close. 
It's all about him, isn't it? It's all about him. Sometimes the Lord has to get our attention and remind us it's all about him. It's all about him. Well, you know, that's why we meet on Sundays. First day of the week. We do a lot of stuff. It's for good hugs and good fellowship. But we meet to honor him, to honor his resurrection. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Well, we're going to go ahead and get started this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. As you're turning in your Bible, um, let me give you a couple of service announcements. If you want to stand up and shout hallelujah, you go for it. If you want to do a Jericho march, the property goes all the way around to the backstop. Back. Um, but if you have needs, uh, we have several people in the church that have said that they have extra supplies. So if you need water, toilet paper, uh, things like that, <clears throat> let us know. We have a food pantry, but we also have people in the church that um, have offered if anybody needs help. So please don't do without. And if you know somebody that needs something, let us know. We're, we're, our ministry is not shut down in this shutdown. The ministry still goes forward. So if you know somebody that needs help, let us know, and we will do whatever it takes to get them help. So um, a couple of, of good positive notes. Um, we had probably our one of our highest missions offering ever last month. And, and let me, I mean, praise God. Let me tell you, because um, other nations are hurting just as bad as we are. And, you know, one of the things that God compelled in my heart was if we have to make any cuts, we're not cutting missions giving because those people need it more than we do. And, but Sister Pat said we actually had our one of our highest months ever. Praise God. Amen. But um but Brother Lucian and them, they're getting hit hard. There's sickness everywhere in Haiti. And so to be able to continue to give completely to them and fully to all of our other missionaries in the Middle East and um here domestically, like New Orleans and right here in Shreveport, different areas. Um it is a blessing and it's a testimony. And I tell you, it's it, it it is a testimony about the spirit of God at work in you, Amen. So praise God for that. Um, and then also, if you um, if you need prayer, if you know somebody that is sick, um, I believe in the anointing uh, by laying on of hands and anointing with oil. And if you know somebody that's sick, we want to do that. So let us know. Uh, we definitely you know, believe in the power of God. I believe in being smart, but I believe in the power of God more than being smart. So um, if you know somebody that needs prayer, uh, let us know. That's, that's one of the reasons why we're here. Amen? Um, I, I do not know. Uh, I mean, nobody knows how long this is all going to last. 
But I thank God that we're still able to meet, and we're going to take every opportunity from now that the Lord gives us to meet. Um, 1 Kings chapter number 19 is where we're going to begin. Let's go ahead and, and pray, and then we'll move forward. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to meet together in this parking lot of our church home. And God, we thank you for the people, the men and women gathered here together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the presence of your spirit wherever we go. And especially, Lord, now as we draw together, Father, we pray for the equipping of the saints, God, that you would minister to our knees, that you would loose the bands of wickedness, that you would remove the, the iniquity off of our lives, that you would remind us of your goodness uh, of, of the preciousness of your spirit. And Father, we pray uh, for that anointing, God. I pray that anointing to preach and to teach as you desire. And Lord, we ask for that anointing to hear and receive. And Lord, we ask it in Jesus' holy name. And everybody says, amen, amen. Isn't God good this morning? Amen. Well, we're, we're gathered here together. We're in 1 Kings chapter number 19. And uh, while we're here, I want to remind you of something over in the book of Revelation. In Revelation, specifically chapter number 11. Over there, we have the story. <laughs> Revelation. I'm trying to keep my, my pages from turning. So here we are in, in 1, Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19, but I want to remind you of a passage in Revelation 11. That passage deals with the two witnesses. How many of you remember the two witnesses? Those two witnesses, there's a lot of debate about who those two witnesses are, but the, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation two specifics about those two witnesses. Now, we're gathered here in, you know, in, in America in this time, and a lot of people believe this is getting close to the, the, the advent of the Lord, the return of the Lord, the rapture of the church, and Lord, we hope so. We pray, even so, Lord, come. It, and, and as that time is drawing closer, the time for those two witnesses is even closer. But there's two specifics given about those two witnesses. One is that one of them prayed to stop the rain. One of them could control the rain by their praying. The other one had the power to turn water into blood and had power to turn that water back. And so most people believe that those two witnesses are none other than Elijah and Moses because of those two specifics because we know Elijah prayed and, and he prayed God that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain and then he prayed that it would and God rained and then we know Moses with the the plagues over Pharaoh and over Egypt how he he prayed and God turned the the Nile River and all the tributaries into blood amen you know that there's something else that links these two men? These two men, they, rep he, they represent the, the spirit and the law. They represent the spirit and the law because Elijah being that prophet who moved by the spirit and, and Moses who represented the law. But do you know that there's two things that really connect? There, there's something that connect these two men of God. The Mount of Horeb. The Mount of Horeb connected these two men of God. The Mount of Horeb is actually connected to Mount Sinai. The, in, in Mount Horeb, the name Horeb means desolate. You see, Elijah and Moses both had situations in their life that thrust them into a desert, into a season of their life when they thought all hope was gone. 
You remember back in Exodus, Moses, after he killed one of the Egyptians, he, he, he turned his back on, his, on his, uh, all that he had in Pharaoh's court, and he went to the wilderness where he met Jethro and Jethro's daughter, and he became a shepherd of sheep on the backside of a desert. That's about as low as you can go. A shepherd of sheep on the backside of a desert. And there Moses found himself. And you know what? The Bible tells us that it was in that season of Moses' life. Let me tell you, that's the season he needed God the most. But it was in that season of Moses' life when he found himself on Mount Horeb that that burning bush began to flame in front of his eyes. And he turned to see, and the angel of the Lord spoke to Moses at Mount Horeb, the place of desolation. Do you know that Elijah had the same kind of encounter with God at Mount Horeb? We're going to pick up this passage in, in 1 Kings chapter number 19, and we're going to begin in verse number 7. It says, And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. Now, this mount, as I said, is, is the mount of, it means desolate. You know, desolation means when everything else has been taken away, when everything else has been destroyed, when the things that you've built up, when the things that you've hoped in, when the things that you've trusted in have let you down. That's what it means to be desolate. It's when the strong things get brought down. And, and, and every man or woman of God that God has ever used has figured out that before God can fill them, he must first empty them. Before God fills a man or a woman, he empties them first. He will not allow his spirit, right, to dwell in, 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 in union with the spirit of the world. He's got to empty all the flesh out. He's got to empty all that junk out before he'll pour in that sweet anointing oil of the Holy Ghost. And, and, and these men and these women all throughout the word of God and all throughout the church's history have found out that before God anoints and before God equips and before God fills, he first empties us out. And sometimes we wonder why God hasn't filled us, why we haven't had the, the power that comes from the Holy Ghost when we haven't, when we have not just been emptied before God first, broken, broken before God. But, but the Lord is good about when we're broken, about mending us back together. And Moses and Elijah, they both found this out. Now, this little backstory before uh, Elijah had got sent over here to Mount Horeb, uh, this was after, listen, this was after probably one of the greatest, most epic battles in the Bible. When all the prophets of Baal gathered together and Elijah gathered and they, he said, you know, you, you call down fire from heaven on your sacrifice and I'll call down heaven on mine. And theirs, we know, didn't ignite in fire, but Elijah's did. 
God sent down fire from heaven and it ignited that sacrifice. And then Elijah and all the other prophets began to slay all the wicked prophets of Baal. Do you know that's called a mountaintop experience in ministry? You know how many times we go through and we, we hit those mountaintop experiences. It's, it's the peak. It's when everything's going right. It's when life is great and all of our dreams are beginning to go in line and the things that we expected are happening. And most of you know, shortly after this highest of highs in the ministry of Elijah, he hit the lowest of lows. It was not but a few hours after this highest of high that Elijah asked the Lord to take his life. He went from mountain high to valley low in a matter of hours. Do you know why? Do you know why? Jezebel, right? Jezebel. Let me tell you, what happened to Elijah was his expectation in the spirit did not meet the reality of the situation that cause that causes disillusionment what happened was Elijah thought after he called down fire from heaven how many of you know that'd be good to see he called down fire from heaven he killed all the prophets. listen he killed all the prophets of Baal all of them he thought if there's ever going to be a time that Jezebel and Ahab turn to God and the nation turns back to God, this is it. He thought he just brought in revival for the nation of Israel. The exact opposite took place. He thought what just happened is going to turn the nation around, but the exact opposite happened. It's kind of like right now we believe that God is shaking our nation and we believe this is the time the nation's going to turn back to God but what if it doesn't what if this is the hour the nation begins to persecute the church instead we say wait I thought this is supposed to be my blessed life now in the hour that we may be persecuted soon but you see, Elijah, in this mountaintop experience, he thought God is going to move revival into Israel. We are going to turn back to God and worship him like we should. And Jezebel said, before the sun goes down, the same thing's going to happen to you. It wasn't because he was scared of Jezebel that he ran. It's because he was hurt because that which he expected in the spirit didn't happen. He wasn't scared of Jezebel. He was hurt in his heart. He had a spiritual wound. He had a spiritual wound. His expectation, his expectation did not meet reality. And when that happens, that's when dismay begins to set in. And some of us know people that have been dismayed by the Spirit, people maybe that have given to a ministry or served in a ministry or prayed for somebody to get healed, and, and, and what they expect to happen doesn't happen. The, the expectation doesn't meet the reality. And in that moment, that's when spiritual dismay can set in, when expectation becomes an illusion. Well, how many of you know in strange seasons... In painful seasons, we must purpose in our hearts 
to draw close to God like never before. It's when we're hurt that we're really, that we can really get off track. We can really get offended about somebody not shaking our hand when what the real problem is, is we're disillusioned and dismayed spiritually because what we expected didn't happen. We prayed for somebody to get better and they got worse. We, we did what we were supposed to do, but what was supposed to happen didn't happen. These kinds of things happen to believers. They, it happened to Elijah. And how many of you know, I, I love this part. It said that the, the angel of the Lord came and told uh, Elijah to go, and Elijah went. Hey, even when he was hurt, he obeyed God. It's kind of like, you know what? I don't know why this is all messed up. I don't know why everything's not working, but I know what I'm supposed to do. Supposed to listen to the Lord and obey the Lord. And sometimes you have to get back to the simplistic commands of Scripture. Sometimes you have to come back. You have to get back to that place of intimacy with God where you're just putting one foot in front of the other. You got to put your shoes on first before you walk. Then you got to put one foot in front of the other. Do what you know you're supposed to do. Don't do what you know you're not supposed to do. And from that place of simplistic obedience, you'll begin to see things change. You'll begin to see the tide begin to change. You'll see the sun begin to come out. You'll see your spirit begin to be renewed and you'll see peace begin to be restored. But I, 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 we just commend Elijah here because he was broken. He was dismayed. He, he, he thought he was bringing in revival, but they came to hunt his head. And in that moment, he still put one foot in front of the other and probably with tears in his eyes. You got to look at the scripture. Just a few verses ahead of that, he asked God to take his life. How you go from being a prophet of God, slaying all the false prophets, to asking God to take your own life. Spiritual dismay does deep things. And so here in this moment, we just commend him. And look, it was in Elijah's weakest and most painful moment, his weakest and most painful season, that he still followed God. One foot in front of the other. How many of you know that next to the shepherd is the safest place to be? There is no safer place than being as close as you can be to the shepherd. And in the seasons of life where the ground is the shakiest, that's when you must, with all diligence, move as close as you can to the shepherd of your soul. You know what's even, I mean, Elijah was broken. But you know what? God knew it. God knew Elijah was broken. When, when Elijah cried out and he asked God to take his life, God didn't take his life. And God didn't neglect him. God sent help to him. God knew that Elijah needed help. And God came to him and, look, just, just eat this and, and take a few steps. He didn't ask Elijah to do flips. He didn't ask Elijah to sow seeds. He said, just nourish your body and take a few steps. Nourish your body and take a few steps. And it was in those acts of obedience, it was in those acts of obedience that Elijah found himself at Mount Horeb. And that Mount Horeb is what we said, we, this is called the desolate place, the place of desolation. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Even in, our, even in our 
place and time of desolation, God's eye is on his children. God's eye is on his children. Now, this is what's, this is what I, I love is that God knew why Elijah was broken. God knew exactly why he was broken. Look at, look at verse number nine with me. First Kings 19 verse nine. It said, he came thither unto a cave and lodged there and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said unto him, what doest thou here, Elijah? How many of you know that sounds a lot like what God asked Adam. Adam, where are you? Didn't God know where Adam was? Is God not ever omnipresent? Doesn't God know everything? God knew where he was. Amen. God knew where he was. And listen, not only did God know where Adam was, he knew why he was hiding. Didn't he? He knew both. And so God here knows why Elijah is there. He knows what's bothering him, and he knows where he's at. And he's about to meet him. God's about to change everything. So he asked Elijah, what doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. You know what? That's Elijah pouring out his heart. That's what God wanted. You see, at the beginning, at the beginning, Elijah was saying, Lord, just take my life. Lord, just take my life. Things didn't work out the way I wanted it to work out, the way I expected it to work out. This is not what I thought it was going to be. This is not what I signed up for. Lord, just take my life. But what God wanted Elijah to do is pour out his heart. You know that there's a difference between complaining and pouring out your heart. And in the season that we're in right now, lamenting is one of the best friends that the church has. Lamenting before God is to cry out to God and tell him what's the problem. Tell him what's wrong. Tell him what's bothering you. Tell him what's troubling you. Lamenting is a gift that God gives the church to cry out. And, and what Elijah did at the beginning is he was, he was complaining, right? But what he did right here is he began to lament, God, it didn't turn out the way I thought it was. I've been zealous for you. I did what I was supposed to do, and the people didn't do what they're supposed to do, right? And so he pours out his heart, and we'll pick it up in verse number 11. God said, said he said, go forth. And stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. 
And after the fire, a still, small voice. Do you know, it's in those, those times that we are on the mountaintop that we can get off track the most. But it's in the valley that we get disillusioned. But I want you to see whether you're on the mountaintop or whether you're in the valley, it's the still, small voice from God that you need the most. Communion with God is greater than mountaintop experiences. Communion with God is what the soul needs. This is where your soul gets refreshed. Your soul will never be refreshed by outside forces. It's only by the inward moving of the Holy Spirit of God on our souls. This shows God's desire for intimacy and closeness. You see that? God could have moved in the earthquake. He could have moved in the wind. He could have moved in the fire. But he's showing Elijah what's going to restore you is not mountaintop, but intimacy with God. Drawing nigh unto God is going to restore your soul in the season where things are upside down. When things are upside down, it is the, the time that we are supposed to put one foot in front of the other and draw close to God. You know, I love 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. I love it. Because so, sometimes we think, well, you know, I, I know the Lord knows what I'm going through. He knows what I'm going through. I mean, I, I, and, and, and it, sometimes we get in that season or that place where we just don't pray like we should. You think, well, the Lord knows. Well, yeah, the Lord knows. The Lord knew where Adam was. But he asked Adam, Adam, where are you? And yes, the Lord knows why Elijah found himself on Mount Horeb. But God wanted Elijah to tell him why he was there. He wanted it to come out. Why? This is communion with God. This is communion with God, pouring out the soul before God. That's the only way we can truly be restored is through intimacy with our Jehovah God. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your care on him, for he careth for you. And you know, that's God's, that's a command in Scripture. It's not a suggestion. It's not, hey, if you want things to go better, cast your care. That's just as much a command as being holy. It's just as much a command as any other command in the Word of God. Cast your care on Him because He cares for you. And when we don't cast our cares on Him, we are withholding ourselves from God. We are keeping back from God what God wants to restore and renew. God tells Elijah to stand on the mount. And you know what? That still small voice meant more to Elijah than the fire that fell from heaven. Listen to that. We, in, on that day, how many of y'all want to see God move in miracles? Y'all want to see God move in signs? You want to see all the... But you know what Elijah found out on that day? The still small voice of God in the soul of a believer is more valuable than seeing fire fall from heaven on a wet wood. Elijah is showing you 
that what you have as New Testament believers is greater than any miracle your eye could see. You have an opportunity to be indwelt by the holy presence of God. As New Testament believers, we don't go visit a temple. The Bible says we are the temple of God. God dwells in the believer. He said, I will live in them. I will walk among them, right? Jesus said that he and the Father would tabernacle in the believer. They would dwell in the believer. And yet... When life gets turned upside down, we have to look back in Scripture and see this is the most important thing. Yes, we want to see fire fall from heaven. We want to see everything change in a moment of time. But to know God is with you is greater than seeing any miracle today. The presence of God in our lives is the beautiful promise that destroys dismay. The presence of God in your life will rehabilitate and refresh and restore your soul. We want to see miracles. God wants to see us broken. It's, it's in this time like this, I, I say about the church, we pray for revival, but sometimes we don't know what we pray for. Because before God revives something, it has to die first. You can't revive something that's still alive. You can't feel something that hadn't been emptied, and you can't revive it if it's not willing to die. It's the same way with how we get saved. You have to die to self and be born again, be made new in Jesus Christ. And the church today is praying for revival. We're praying, I believe in it. In, in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, we pray for revival, but we have to understand we will come to the end of ourselves first before revival begins. God has never revived a church that hadn't been broken. And God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, Elijah was used to the mountaintop experiences. Sometimes we get used to the way we expect life to go. We, we get used to air conditioning. We get used to blessings. We get used to the, the quote-unquote blessed life, how we expect life to go. We get used to it. But when crisis hit, and it hit Elijah. You, you, you think about it. You go from a man of God, a believer, a prophet of God who, who communed with God, how hard it must have hit him to want to die. He was used to mountaintop experiences, but when crisis hit, God restored him not with miracles, but with his presence. And if you want to be restored today, seek the face of God. Seek to draw closer to God. You, you have to get to the point where you say, Lord, I don't need the wind. I don't need the earthquake, and I don't need the fire. I just need you. You are what I need. Elijah found out on that day on Mount Horeb, 
uh, on that mountain that it wasn't all the exterior things that he needed. He didn't need God to rearrange the situation. He needed God to rearrange himself. Sometimes we want God to rearrange the situation. Lord, I don't like how this is. I don't like how that is. But we say, but Lord, do you like how I am? See, God, God was going to change the situation. God had a plan. He was going to anoint two new kings and a new prophet. God had a plan. He could have told him that at the beginning. Before God moved in this way for Elijah, he could have said, Elijah, quit whining. Go anoint these two kings. Go anoint this prophet. He could have told him that. Quit whining and go do this. But he didn't. He took the time because God cared for Elijah's soul, just like God cares for your soul. He took the time to say, Elijah, what's wrong? Let it out. Pour it out to me. Cry out. Get on your knees. Get on your face. Get before an altar and cry. Shed the tears. Let God know what the problem is. And when he did, God began to minister to him and speak to him in a still, small voice. God restored Elijah's soul before he restored the kingdom. Sometimes we want God to restore the kingdom before we're willing to let God restore our soul. We want God to change presidents and nations and churches and folks at bars and this and that and the other. We want God to change everybody else under the sun. We, that, that circle thing, them, 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 them. Change them, Lord, change them. But we're not, we don't first say, Lord, change me. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is at the Last Supper whenever the disciples were all gathered around Christ Jesus and, and, and they all gathered around him and Jesus began to say, somebody here is going to betray me. Somebody here, one of my closest disciples is going to betray me. Now, if you, we know who betrayed him, but they didn't. They didn't know. And you know how humble they were? Each one of the disciples said, Lord, is it me? Lord, is it I? They were willing to let the Lord search them. That's what God wants us to do. Say, Lord, before you change the nation, before you begin to restore the world, before you begin to restore the church, before you begin to restore revival, before you begin to restore the power to the bride of Christ, before you begin to move across this nation, God, move across my heart. Restore my soul. Move upon me, God. I will be a willing vessel. Lord, break me down that you can build me up. Lord, empty me out that you can fill me up. Lord, I thank you that you are the restorer of our souls and it's in that moment it was in that moment that Elijah found out God cared for him he lived what first Peter 5 7 says cast your cares on him for he careth for you God it I, I just want to reiterate God could have told Elijah quit whining here's the plan how many of you know God cares more about our soul than that? And he cares for your soul. God's not a respecter of persons. What that means is if God cares for one, he cares for all. He cares for you. He loves you. And he invites you to cast your cares on him 
because he cares for you. I love this, that, that it was, you know, God, God could have spoken in the wind. He could have spoken in the earthquake. He could have spoken in the fire, but he was teaching Elijah what it means to know the voice of a shepherd. What it means to know the voice of a shepherd. You know that Jesus actually taught that in John 10, verse 27. Do you know that? Jesus in John chapter 10, this is where Jesus compares himself to the shepherd of the sheep. And he said, my sheep, what? Know my voice. In other words, the sheep of Jesus Christ, ears perk up when his voice utters. Too many of us have been too busy and too worried about other folks to listen for the voice of the shepherd. But what restores us is not when everybody else gets fixed. I want to say that again. What restores us is not when everybody else gets fixed, not when the economy gets fixed, not when the nation gets fixed, not when everything else, you don't have a checklist and everything else got to get checked off, then you're restored. Restoration begins in the soul. When God spoke to Elijah in the still small voice, how many of you know, immediately restoration began. God didn't have to do another thing. Elijah was good. If you've ever gone down to an altar on your knees and cried and poured out your heart before God and the Spirit of God comes upon you and renews you and refreshes you, you can get up and you don't care if you eat that night. You don't care if you have friends that night. You don't care if you get a phone call. that. You don't care if anybody shakes your hand or tells you hi or bye. You don't care because you got what your soul needs. And Elijah here got what his soul needs. He, and in all of this, he didn't get that promise that, that Jezebel was going to die. He didn't get a promise that his life was going to be saved. He didn't get that promise, but he got God. He got God. You know that being alone, and you need to hear this right now, being alone and being alone with God are two different things. You can be quarantined with God, and you can be quarantined. Now, you know, I'm, we know what it's like to be quarantined. Some of us, you know, we got to stay in isolation or whatever right now. But there's a huge difference between being alone with God and being alone. Just a few verses before this, in verse 5, Elijah was alone whining. Lord, just take me home. Just take me home. I'm tired of this. This is not going the way I thought it was going to go. I'm tired of it, Lord. Let me go home. Kill me, Lord. But it was when Elijah was alone with God that everything changed. It was when he was alone with God on Mount Horeb that God spoke to his soul in that still, small voice. In that still, small voice. Look, look in verse number uh, 13. This is after the still, small voice, right? After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. 
And it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And then Elijah began to tell him, and then God gave him, listen, direction. You know what destroys dismay? God's presence and God's direction. When, when you get alone with God and God begins to restore your soul, he will remind you of the precious promises in the word of God. He will remind you that he's never left you, he's never forsaken you, but he's right there with you. And then he will begin to give you simple commands, simple things just to begin to remember, oh yes, I'm supposed to pray without ceasing. Oh, yes, I'm supposed to lift up holy hands. Oh, yes, I'm supposed to draw nigh unto God. Oh, yes, I'm supposed to commune with the Lord. Oh, yes, I'm supposed to testify. If you remember last week, I'm an overcomer, right? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Amen? And so we see that it's in that time that God begins to give divine direction. Too many people, too many people, will absent themselves from this Mount Horeb experience. But I want you to see that Moses, in Exodus 3, verse 1, you'll see it. This is where Moses got his new command from God. When Moses was on Mount Horeb, uh, that's when the, the, the Spirit of God began to speak out of the fiery furnace, out of the burning bush. And when, when that burning bush, when the Spirit of God spoke through that burning bush, how many of you know it changed the course of Moses' life. He tried in his own strength to deliver the nation of Israel, and it didn't work. He failed. He ended up murdering a guy with his own hands, and he walked away from Egypt, walked into the desert, a failure. But it wasn't until he met God on Mount Horeb that he returned to Egypt as the deliverer that, he, that Israel prayed for. It was on that mountaintop of desolation that Moses came to the end of himself. God said, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And God began to restore Moses. And it was in the same mountain that God restored Elijah. Now, you may not be able to physically go to Mount Horeb, but you can go to a place of desolation. When, when we experience life-altering situations like the one that we're in right now, we need a word from God. We need the assurance from the Spirit of God in this hour in which we're in. We need God's voice. What he does is he clears the confusion out. With one act of a still small voice, Elijah no longer wanted to kill himself. He had his vision restored. He had his destiny restored. He had the purpose and the plan for God restored. And listen, he had the fight on the inside restored. Nothing changed. Jezebel was still there. Ahab was still there. The nation of Israel, they were still rebellious. But the switch got flipped on in Elijah. 
the switch got flipped on because he took time to commune with God. And when he did, God restored his fight. God restored his song. God restored his victory. God restored his anointing. God restored his consecration. God restored his vision. And you know what? God will restore you too. God will restore you too. God will restore you too. I love in the book of Jude and at the end of Jude, it says to build up yourself, right? Build up yourself. Praying in the Holy Ghost keeping yourself in the love of God. Do you know that's one of the most important things you can do is to keep yourself built up? How do you keep yourself built up? The presence of God. The presence of God. Keep yourself built up, praying in the Holy Ghost, and keeping yourself in the love of God. That means, look, you, you may not be able to go to an altar at a church right now in this season, but you can make an altar at your home. You can clear out a special place in your living room or in your dining room or in your bedroom. You might be like, well, I don't have anything. I don't have. You can make an altar out of a steering wheel. Some of, my, some of my best prayer times have been behind a steering wheel. I remember one time, one job I worked at, I had to, uh, I was just, you know, speaking of an altar at your steering wheel, I was, I, every time I had to drive to work, I had to pass by one of those X-rated movie places. And, I, and it just grieved the Spirit of God in me. And I just began to pray. Every time I passed by, I gripped that steering wheel. I said, Lord, this is going to be an altar. Because when I pass by, I'm going to hold on to this altar. And I'm going to cry out against this place. And you know what? One year went by, and that place closed down. One year went by, and that place closed down. God honored those prayers. So you can make an altar behind a steering wheel. You can make an altar on your couch. You can make an, uh, an altar on your rocking chair, wherever. But get into a place where you can get alone with God and allow God to restore you. That's what you need more than the fire falling from heaven. In the hour in which we're in, we need the still, small voice to restore our soul, to bring restoration when, 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 when disillusionment has set in and we've been dismayed, we need God to bring restoration. I want to close with saying communion is greater than the mountaintop. Communion is greater than the mountaintop. We, we live in a time right now where life is turned upside down and we're not used to it. We feel like we're in a valley. We want to get back to the mountaintop, but I want you to know the greatest thing you can do in this hour, the thing that will change your life the most, the thing that will keep you in the love of God, the thing that will keep you headed in the right direction, the thing that will keep you going right is to commune with God. The Bible says in James 4, chapter 8, to draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. I want you to know this morning that God cared so much about Elijah that he brought him to a place of desolation so that he could build him up again. And I want you to know right now that God wants to build you up. God wants you to pour out your soul. Tell God what's on your heart. Tell God what the problems are. And let God begin to speak to you. God loves you. He has not neglected you. 
God has sent the Holy Spirit to abide in you, to help you, to comfort you, and to guide you, and to equip you. The Holy Ghost is our comforter. And in this hour, we need his hand. Nobody has all the answers, but God does. You see, Elijah could have run to Job's friends. You know, Job's friends were so smart, they were dumb. That's a lot of what's on Facebook right now. Everybody has the answers. This is what Job's friends thought. All Job's friends thought they had all the answers. They had God figured out. They had it all square. Sometimes God's bigger than your box. And if God has to, he'll break the box down till we get it. And Elijah for a moment wanted to die because the box didn't fit. God was bigger than the box. But God loved Elijah so much that he restored him before he renewed him. And he'll do the same for you. He will, re, he will restore your fight. He will restore your song. He will restore your anointing if you'll take time to commune with him. That's what it costs you. We knock Adam, but at least when God asked Adam, Adam, where are you? Adam was hiding. Adam had fig leaves. Adam was hiding. But when God said, Adam, where are you? Adam came out of the bushes and said, right here, Lord. You can knock Adam all you want, but that is integrity. That's saying, Lord, things aren't right. I know that I've messed up, and I know who can fix it. And it's not me, it's you. It's not me, it's you. Elijah, the same thing. God said, Elijah, what do you, look, go back and read this. I encourage you after this is done. Go back and read it. God sent Elijah to Mount Horeb. And then God asked Elijah, what are you doing here? We would have been like, well, I don't know. You brought me here. Some, some people talk so flippantly to God. They would have said, I don't know. You brought me here. But God was emptying Elijah out before he filled him up. And we commend Elijah the same way we commend Adam. Because when God asked Adam, Adam, where are you? Adam said, right here. And when God asked Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah said, I'm running. Things didn't go the way I thought they'd go. I saw revival fall from heaven, and yet the people fell away from you. Notice, God didn't say, well, let me, let me strike up the furnace and throw another fire down. God said, go stand right there. And he showed Elijah it wasn't in the earthquake. It wasn't in the wind. It wasn't in the fire. That's not where you find God. It's in the still, small voice. And today, I encourage you, 
Draw nigh to the shepherd. Draw nigh to the shepherd. The sheep know his voice, and they come unto him. Would you come to him today and allow the shepherd of your soul to restore you once again? Father, we bless you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to hear your holy word in this parking lot. Lord, we thank you that your spirit is not bound by buildings. But, Father, we pray that you would do a work in our soul. Lord, you know the touch that we need, the restoration that we need. And, Lord, we pray, Father, that your spirit would begin to make those inroads in our life right now. That you would begin to stir our soul afresh and bring the restoration that we so desperately need. Lord, in this hour, we're so inundated with information. But, Lord, it's not information. It's your voice that we need. We need that still, small voice like never before. Lord, to give us purpose, to give us divine direction. And, Lord, we thank you for your abiding presence right now. In Jesus' holy name, everybody says, amen, amen. We're going to play when I speak your name because it's when you call on the name of Jesus that everything changes. It's God, his plan, and his purpose through Christ and Christ alone. So as we, as we play this, if you need prayer, you can come up here to the truck. But if you just want to lift your hand and allow the Spirit of God to minister to you right in your car, right where you're at, just say, Lord, here I am. Here I am, Lord. I need you. I need you, God. Restore me, Lord.
Isn't God good? Amen. You know, one of the Psalms keeps running through my, my, my soul right now, Psalm 23. You know, he leadeth me beside still waters. I want you to know that's God's desire. And, and, and sometimes you have to remember that it's, it's in the situation that God will meet you and bring restoration. So um, before we close, I just a uh, quick two announcements. Um, First off, I want to thank you for being here. Uh, uh, just thank you so much for being here. Um, but next week is Resurrection Sunday. Amen. All right. We're going to have a potluck dinner. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> um, but we are going to have communion. We are going to have communion next week. And if you want to, you can bring your own communion. But if you uh, want, we have the disposable kind with the little juice and the cracker in an enclosed thing that you can have. So if you want to take communion next week, you can either A, B-Y-O-C, bring your own communion, or you can B, um, use our disposable ones that we have here. So, But either way, we're going to take communion on Easter Sunday. We're going to worship the Lord. So, um, but that's going to be next week. We're going to have a great time and uh, worship the Lord. So I invite you to bring your, uh, your neighbor's cars and trucks and SUVs. <laughs> We're going to have a good time. And um, 
and so also one other thing I talked to our uh, we we normally have a nursing home service on Sunday mornings before church I talked to them they are not allowing any visitors which we know but they are allowing us to bring packages for Easter so if you want to assemble together some snacks and packages or something let me know um, and you can drop them off at the church on Wednesday if you want to help do that. It doesn't matter what it is, uh, just some snacks. And if you want to write like a little note to the residents, we have 35 on the side that we normally minister to, and then there's 30 on the side that we're going to start a second service at sometime, hopefully this year. So we need another worship team and another minister. But, um, but there's... Uh, 65 total people, but if you want to help, you can, um, and we're just going to try to be a blessing, and the main thing is to let them know we have not forgotten about them, because it's been a couple of weeks since we've been able to be there. We can't talk to them. They said we can't even go to the door, So, but we can drop off the stuff to one of the workers, and the workers can take it to them. So that's what we're going to do just to be a blessing to them this Easter Sunday so they know they're not alone because they can't even be around family right now. So, amen. So communion next week. And um, if if you uh, need, like I said, we asked earlier if you have any needs uh, for your pantry or your home or whatever, just let us know. We'll be more than glad to help you meet those needs. Amen. Let's pray together, and then we're going to close. Amen. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be together in, in the presence of our church, Lord, in the presence of fellow believers. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you that the Spirit of God does what no man can do. Lord, we thank you for the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And God, we pray that you would seal the word sown in our hearts this morning. Father, that you would breathe life upon that word sown. And God, we pray that it yield a godly and fruitful harvest in our lives and in the lives of those around us, that your plan and your purpose would come to pass in this generation. God, we ask it in the holy name of Jesus Christ. And everybody says... Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord.